The Bulletin. It is time for the Bulletin. We uh, welcome in a fine New Zealand sporting mind to discuss the issues of the day. Uh, one of the nicest boats going around to Adam McLaughlin uh, joins us. He'd certainly help me if I was cramping, although I probably would never get cramped because I don't run enough. G'day, mate. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm all right. What about yourself? Good. Giving out a mischief? I'm, I'm uh, trying try my best. You know how it is, but uh, sometimes I do yeah. get into a bit of mischief. But uh, good to speak to you. It's been a while. It has. It has. Is the missing ingredient for the Black Caps an inability to be ruthless to someone who is cramping? Or, dare I no. uh, suggest, maybe inefficient death bowling? Uh, I, I, yeah, it was... A, it, <laughs> I don't think um, that uh, a few players inquiring after Virat Kohli uh, and, and his physical condition made too much of a difference to the overall result. To you, I mean, it's uh, I'd be more concerned about the um, the way that New Zealand bowled, um, especially in the early stages of that match and also the closing stages, because they leaked far too many runs. And as we know. If you don't make some early breakthroughs against um, any team who bats first on a pitch like that, uh, you're going to struggle. But when it's India and they get the tails up, um, they're always going to head towards 400 unless you, you bowl at your absolute best. So, um, yeah, a, a bit of an odd angle for me. Um, didn't really expect that after the, uh, after the semi-final and one that I'm quite happy to just kind of discard and put to one side. Um, credit to India. They played very well, as they have done throughout the tournament. And I think, you know, probably the, the, the semi-final just kind of summed up the tournament for both teams. New Zealand just a little bit short um, and uh, done well to get to the semi-finals yet again. But India looking absolutely superb. Are we too nice, though? Is it a, an indication that we lack a ruthlessness? No, I honestly don't think so. I think that is the way that New Zealand... Uh, play cricket and have played cricket under this regime and other regimes. And I honestly don't think when it comes to the crunch moments that um, mindsets like, let's go and see if he's okay or what's going on over here. I honestly don't think it matters. Um, and it's also a real intangible, isn't it? Because we can never really know for sure um, if it does make a difference. And I think anyone who says it does, or even, you know, uh, it doesn't, I get, we're all kind of guessing, aren't we, a bit? My gut feeling is it doesn't at all. I, you know, I, I just, yeah. I just think it's the way that New Zealand play cricket, and they have done for a, for a number of years. I mean, if you if you want to go back a step, you know, they're all pretty good mates, aren't they? You know, they've played against each other. You know, played against Kohli for so many years now. Many of them, not only on the international stage, but also in the IPL. You know, and the ninety World Cup. Yeah. yeah, going back to yeah. two thousand and eight, etc. There's fifteen years of history there. I don't think there's anything wrong with really just walking up and seeing if he's okay or what's going on, you know. Um, you know, maybe if, if it became a time-wasting issue, you might want to have a wee word with the umpire or something and say, look, you know, what's going on here? Um, but actually asking after the guy, not a big deal for me. And certainly not the well, reason they lost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. It was the bowling top. Uh, at the top, too. Uh, you're right. Uh, and the death bowling has, had, has sort of been a longer-term issue, in my humble opinion. I don't have the, the numbers right to back up. I, I'm just basing it on what uh, the eye test has told me. And, hey, these nice guys didn't lose the World Cup final four years ago. Um, so these nice guys uh, came within a whisker of uh, winning at the whole damn thing. Um, who you got? Are you Team India, Team Australia for the final? Team India. 
Team India, Daniel, Team India. I just, um, apart from, I think it's actually nice sometimes when the best team wins a tournament and they are clearly the best team. Uh, yes, they could have an off day in the final and yes, Australia could really bring it to them and bring their best. Um, but I actually like the way India have gone about this tournament. They have strength throughout. Um, that top five or six is absolutely fantastic. Um, and to watch their bowling um, is just a joy sometimes. I mean, you know, it was Shami that stepped up the other day and got the wickets. But, you know, when you, when, when there were probably, though technically New Zealand could still win that game the other day, but when suddenly Bumrah comes in and Shami come in, we can all kind of just sit back and go, hang on a minute, how the heck are they going to get 12 or 13 and over every over from now on? And it just needed, and then Jadeja comes along, and yeah, they've just got a wealth of talent, and they're just so good. And I really enjoy watching that bowling lineup, whoever they're playing against. And it's, you know, it's unfortunate that um, it happened to be New Zealand the other day in the semi-final rather than the final. But um, yeah, for me, for me, definitely Team India. Yeah, I got scolded. I got told off by my dear friend Grant Allen in commentary when I dare suggest uh, at 350, India already had enough to win. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to go na 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 na. I told you so to Grant. Uh, I probably will because I'm a bit of a jerk. Um, but yeah. Anyway, we move on. How I find this next story awesome, fascinating. Um, Anton Dupont, the best rugby player on the planet, come at me, come at me, um, is not going to play the Six Nations. He is going to join the World Rugby Seven Aside Circuit uh, with an eye of playing at the 2024 Paris Olympic Games. This, this is a huge story, isn't it? Well, I'll tell you what, before that news came through yesterday, there was a really early press release from Rugby Australia saying that Michael Hooper was going to do the same. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's a really interesting story. But then it just magnified, as you say, when DuPont said the same thing. And, um, I mean, I don't know if this is a sudden decision or if this is something that's kind of he's had on his mind for a while. But I think, and I wonder how much it's actually influenced by the fact that the Olympics are in his home country as well. But I think it's absolutely great for the um, for, for sevens. I think it's great for the Olympic Games. And um, I think there's probably a few people who kind of read that news and probably thought, you know, that other top players are thought, geez, that's not a bad idea, is it? I wonder if I should give that a crack. Um, I mean, how good would it be to see, I know he's got a contract now, but uh, overseas for a few months, but... How good would it be to see Adi Savia there alongside Antoine Dupont? Or, um, I don't know, a Bowden Barrett or a, a Damien McKenzie? It'd be bloody good, wouldn't it? It, it would. It would. Um, getting them out of Japan might be problematic, uh, though, Aidan. You know. Hey, and, and as far as Dupont, as far back as December 2022, according to The Guardian, he opened the door for playing in the event. Um, it's highly motivating. It's incredible when you see the enthusiasm it can uh, create. So... Friends through and through, he's just seeing it as a unique opportunity to go compete, like Sonny Bill Williams, I guess, did uh, when, when he tried to get to, uh, when he uh, did the exact same thing. So of those, uh, other than Adi Savia, both card-carrying members of the Adi Savia fan club we are, Aiden, uh, what other All Black would go well in seventh? Uh, I think Mark Talia would be pretty devastating out there on the wings. Um, I think he'd yeah. go pretty well. Um, I'd really like to see a Camroy, God damn, to be honest with you. He's a big, he's a big halfback. I think he could make quite an impact on that type of code. Um, as we know, he can he can run strong. He can get away from people pretty quick. And in sevens, 
you sniff that, that, that little gap and you get through that gap and you're off. And someone like Cam Roygaard, I think, could be a devastating sevens player, even at that level. Uh, Formula One. Hey, Vegas has been a vexed sort of subject for locals um, and organisers. It sounds like demand for tickets nowhere near the level they would have wanted. I think there's been some big adjustments on price point. But uh, as you would expect from Vegas, everything's got to be big, right? Everything's got to be big. And it was quite a visually spectacular opening ceremony. Formula One in Vegas, baby. Do you care? Formula One in Vegas, baby. I mean, I've been to Vegas a few times uh, on big fight weekends and there is quite the atmosphere. But, I mean, that opening ceremony last night, albeit the stands were not exactly full, um, it was quite the visual uh, display. I mean, who was in there? I'm just trying to think. Something. I kind of fast-forwarded it because I wasn't too interested in listening to the music, but Kylie Minogue and Keith Urban and um, Journey were in there and... But, you know, the way that they presented it to the TV audience, um, so you could see the strip behind, you could see the bright lights, you could see the fireworks, it was something else. And I, I just dread to think how much money that opening ceremony cost. I know they've spent half a billion dollars or something on, on the track, getting the track ready, and they expect a billion dollars of income back the other way. But, um, yeah, it's been an interesting build-up, hasn't it? Because uh, for, for, from the team's perspective, there's a lot of unknowns. You know, it's a new track. Um, the temperatures at that time of night are going to be very cold compared to what they usually race in. So that obviously has an impact on things like the tyres. Um, but as for the locals, yeah, I mean, it's fair to say that they are not happy at the disruption that their lives have had to endure in the build-up to this. And um, when uh, there's some powerful, you know, unions over there in terms of those workers, uh, when they get involved, it's going to be interesting to see what the future holds. Uh, I know this is a long-term objective from Formula One um, and I'm sure it will be successful in terms of a television spectacle um, but yeah how much the locals can actually influence uh, the, the future of the event will be very interesting to see. Yeah and who, who knew that we needed an opening ceremony for a competition that is in round 21? <laughs> I'm just trying to think of opening ceremonies yeah yeah they tend to be at the start don't they? They do, now you've mentioned it. And generally not after the winner of the Constructors or the Drivers' Championship has already been known for some months. Maybe it was the closing ceremony uh, of a, a pretty boring Formula One campaign, uh, except, of course, if you're a fan of Max Verstappen, who's won 17 of them. And to you, well, and that's the funny thing about Max, isn't it? Because Max is certainly not a fan of the Razzmatazz. I think he said overnight it was 99% showbiz, 1% about the driving. I mean, I was actually surprised he turned up to the opening ceremony. I had this vision of him kind of trying to get to a sleep in his, his penthouse suite uh, at, the, at the winner somewhere <laughs> and then, you know, being a, bit, being a bit grumpy because Keith Urban was keeping him awake at night through the, through the noise. But, um, but he turned up and he kind of waved to the crowd and I'm sure he scuttled off and, uh, yeah, he, he's all business, isn't he? Yeah, indeed. Hey, Aidan, lovely to hear from you, mate. I hope, hope all is well with uh, you and yours up there. Take it easy, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. Good to speak to you, mate.